the week nine edition of the Horse and Around podcast here from the beautiful iHeart Studios. In Palatial. Spectacular. <laughs> Let's not turn this into an adjective <laughs> contest. In the Denver Tech Center, I'm Andrew Mason of DenverBroncos.com and Orange and Blue 760, joined by Andy Lindahl, also of Orange and Blue 760. I'm on the 10 to noon show, first and 10 to 10, with Ryan Edwards and Steve Atwater. Andy, of course, leads off every day, 7 to 10, with Tyler Columbus. And then I join the two of them at 9.30 every Thursday to discuss my power rankings and also find out which guests I have in my closet Yeah, well, a given week. <laughs> we need to explain to people, you came in, because some people don't get the joke, which hurts me deeply, because I'm all about jokes, as you know. But what, running the, gags. Running gags. Yes. Yeah, inside jokes. And we want you to feel part of a club. But here's the thing. You walked in one day, and I said, Andrew, I don't understand these power rankings. Such and such surprised me. And you said, they surprised me, too. Which made me wonder how many voices in your head were fighting with each other that you were surprised. So we're now meeting, slowly, all the voices in your head. We've met Cheech Mason, who was very popular. Drew Mason, who uh, was quite to the point, and I don't know, I, I know who's next up, but I don't quite know what the name of your next voice is. So, Yeah, it's it's getting crowded back there. Well, and, yeah, and actually, what we do. And actually on a Thursday morning, I walked in, and I was a couple of minutes late, and I acknowledge that the reason I was late is I was trying to squelch an uprising in my closet. <laughs> yes, the, you did. yes, you did. The voices and personalities were acting up. And one of them took my credential, and I had trouble finding it. It's crazy. Well, you got to, you got a lot. It's like the twelve angry men, but only you're all twelve. It's bad in enough, your head. It's bad enough. I got a five year old take stuff from me. Now I've got all these personalities running around that I've got to deal with. It's a mess. The older you get, the less you're actually in charge of your surroundings. This is true. You're not. What did George? You're not the master of your domain in any facet. And you're not independent, George. Yeah, independent George died years ago. So, but you are, you, you know, independent George is better because they talk about a George divided among the himself. Cannot stand. Cannot stand. And you are divided in 12s. We may have to meet independent Mason one day. I don't know who that would be, but we'll figure it out. Are you independent Mason? I like to think I am, but I'm not sure anymore. Yeah. All these things, I have this vision of, and this is a complete nerd reference. I have this vision of the three William Shatners doing Rocket Man. <laughs> well, in the 1970s. Yeah. So here's so here's the thing is that go to Andrew Mason's power rankings, try to figure out which Mason won the day as far as reading what's where. Mm-hmm. We Tyler and I it bothers me when Tyler and I are in lockstep on anything and we were both in lockstep that in this week's edition we probably need Buffalo and Seattle higher than they are and more towards mm-hmm. the middle of the top 10 than rather back towards the end. Yes. So anyway, we recommend that you read those. And what day you come out on denverbroncos.com, they can read the power rankings every Wednesday. They're usually on Tuesday night this week because of Monday night football and having a compressed week and having to shove two days of work into one. They went up Wednesday morning. They were a bit late. But in a typical week, you will see them... Tuesday at about 6 p.m. A little later than most other power rankings because I've got some serious number crunching to do 
with my various personalities. Oh, there's a we huge have a lot of work. There's like Peabody supercomputer it's behind a, this thing, it's right? It's a collaborative effort. I mean, probably walk into my office at home and get electrocuted with all the computers. Remember in war games, the the computers yes. the size of rooms, the Whopper. We've got the Whopper down there. Do you have the little statue you pull to get back to this room where you do the computing? Is it like the Batcave? No, but it, it, there, it is a, it is hidden behind a bookshelf door. And on you the, have a bookshelf door in your house. Yes, it's awesome. It's like something out of Clue. Well, la di da, Andrew Mason. La di da. Something I always dreamed of, and now I have it. Do you do you ever make the little? I don't know, kind of where you and and we're on Mr. a podcast, Burns? yeah, so they can't With see the, it. Mister, where you kind Excellent. of wiggle the fingers together? Yes. Yes. Ooh, come here. Let me tell you more. <laughs> Other, well, you really are kind of... The Dr. Evil thing with the little finger? Yeah, I do all that. I'll tell you this. We just found a new Mason. I think pretentious Mason is going to come out at some point now, too. That wasn't in the mix. I'm not sure I've even figured out who all these Masons are yet. But pretentious smug Mason, Mason is wears gonna, the flat Yeah, smug. Cap. That's right! But I'm not wearing the flat cap now. I'm wearing a British you're, cap. You're, you're smarter than me golf cap. Like you're... Like you're uh, not Scooter McGavin, although he could have. Who was the movie after... Remember the golf movie? Shooter McGavin, but he didn't wear a cap. No, I know. Happy Gilmore. The, the serious golf movie. Tin Cup. Okay, but there was, was actually it was actually named after a person. This isn't getting us nowhere oh, at anyway. this point. And we've talked no football. I've really. made Tin Cup references, and I'm going to use Tin Cup. Bagger Vance. That's Thank what I'm you. trying to think of. But I'm going to use Tin Cup to get us to football. Please <laughs> do. Let me Here's get out why. of the way. Here's why. Obviously, the big news is... The quarterback change this week, going from Trevor Simeon to Brock Osweiler. Trevor Simeon is being benched because of turnovers. That's been made clear by Vance Joseph, and it's obvious. He was pressing. He was seeing ghosts. He was forcing things. And that is something that does not fit for the success equation of the Denver Broncos. The quarterback needs to be playing par. And I bring this to Tin Cup, the climactic scene. He's at the 18th at that golf course in North Carolina that it's probably supposed to be Pinehurst, but not really. And Cheech Marin, not Cheech Mason, caddy played by Cheech, Pleading with him to not try to drive to drive the green. Not try, you know, lay up. Par's all you need, Roy. Par. And of course, keeps trying to drive over the water hazard and get on the green. And I looked at looking at Trevor Simeon's interceptions Monday night, and I see a little bit of that trying to force it. Especially the second one where he's rolling to the right. And he's got A.J. Derby short. Or if he takes off himself, he's got the first down. But Jordan Taylor is in, a, in one-on-one coverage downfield. And he throws deep the 50-50 ball. And that is exactly the kind of play that you do not need to see in this offense. It's exactly the kind of chance that you don't need to take when you've got two options there that move the sticks. Par. You want If you play to par... With the running game hopefully back on track after a pretty good game against Kansas City, 
And the defense, having held every opponent so far this season below 300 yards and five yards of play, with those two things, if you can avoid the needless giveaways, not just from Simeon, but also fumbles. Like muffed punts. Muffed punts. Fumbles. Et cetera. Turnovers. If you avoid these mistakes, you play to par. Brock Osweiler in his first six starts in 2015 had three turnovers, half a turnover a game, all in interceptions. If you do that, you're going to win more often than not and get where you want to go at the end of the regular season and give you and 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 get in the get into the tournament and give yourselves a chance. So here's the thing, and and I it was interesting because Jake Plummer the former Broncos quarterback was responding to some tr- uh, Twitter criticism of Trevor. Mm-hmm. And Jake's Jake's an interesting guy. And uh, look for him, we'll say, I'm not positive when this podcast will be posted. He'll be on Orange and Blue Friday morning. We're going to talk to him. He's close to both Brock and to Trevor. Mm-hmm. So to say that he has a horse in the race would be not true. He's he likes known both Brock guys. for a long time. Yep, and Going he's helped both guys. Yes, he has. So... Uh, Jake was responding to some criticism on Trevor saying that Jordan actually hesitated in that route. Now, I think to your point, with the safer options available, because whether Jordan was on a clean run and had the DB behind Mm -hmm. him or not, the true safest options were going to be the shorter pass or hands down what appeared to be easy yardage and a a surefire first down if you don't just let the ball slip out of your hand in front of you. And and it's like you said, that's still, to me, the run was the option you should have gone with. Um, and yeah, okay, it's a deep pass, so it's like a punt, but it was a sure first down. Yeah, you needed to keep the ball. And the way the running game was going, give you four more cracks at the deep. And get the defense to rest a little more. Yep. Um, but but the point being that Jordan Taylor didn't do everything perfectly either. That could have helped the play, so on and so forth. It's been but, a rough couple of weeks for Jordan Taylor well, playing more. The bottom line is, my friend, Trevor does need to he needs to come out. And I'll admit, this is tough for me. I I like Trevor a lot. And I know a lot of people see the boring persona he puts on. That, to me, is his way. Brock, we saw during his press conference during the week, he controls the media with a, with a personality that just, it's very gregarious. It's it's He's just in charge. He knows how to run the press conference, make you feel good. He jokes along the way, even though he's delivering a serious message. Um, with Trevor, I feel like, let's say... Very little, and it'll end even sooner, right? He doesn't want to get into a conversational tone with you. That's how he controls it. I'm going to keep the amp- I'm going to keep my amp- answers simple, and you're going to want to be done with this quicker, I think. But the guy has great personality. He's a funny dude. He's very likable. And at the end of the day, I think for guys like you and me, he came out of nowhere to win this job. And I unbelievable story when you really sit back and look at the fact that he was splitting time at Northwestern, then tears his ACL, thinks, I'm probably not going to play football again. Looking at moving on with his life's work in the parlance of the late Chuck Knoll, and then Gary Kubiak and Greg Knapp take a second look at him, start working him out, take a seventh-round flyer on him, and he has an NFL career that seemed impossible. He twice. It's a phenomenal story. He twice has won a job that, you know, I, it wasn't meant to be his. Now, and I he's wanna, been under pressure. From the time he won it. Basically from, the, from from when he was trying to win it. Yeah. 
that moment. The, to, the, the notion that he's under no pressure because he's a seventh-round pick is, is ludicrous. Garbage. <laughs> he's under more pressure because everybody was waiting. And, and seventh-round picks don't get sec- – you know, often – don't have margins for error. That's the other thing. Like in the NFL equation, seventh round picks are often considered disposable. It's heartless, but that's the way this works. You know, first, second round picks get multiple chances because sometimes you'll see at other positions a guy will get cut, but then he'll get picked up off waivers pretty quickly if he was a second round pick. Seventh round guys don't have that luxury. Here's the thing. I, I guess it bothers me the most. And I am a Trevor guy, whatever. I'm, and, and I've said it a thousand times. It doesn't not make, I'm not, it's not that I'm not a Paxton guy. I just think I want to be the voice that stands up for Trevor because all I hear is criticism of the guy. Well, I hate the, the notion that media. we have to be one or the other. No, I'm a Bronco guy. Yeah. As you and I have talked about, I just want to cover a winning team. Yes. And if that makes me not good at my job, fine. Keep your opinion. I want to cover a winning team because honestly, it's a lot more fun. Uh, the locker rooms are a lot easier and it's a lot more fun to converse with. But. Mm. So I don't care who the quarterback is. First, I don't care if you if you sign this guy on the last day of training camp and it works out. I don't I don't care. Just give me a winner however you do it. I I think it stinks that all the trolls out there and I'm going to call you trolls cuz that's how you're acting have stood up and have been screaming from the mountaintop. I told you he would fail. I saw so many I told you so tweets about Trevor Simeon. Oh, I told you this would happen. No, you didn't. We got here because of a number of breakdowns by the offensive unit. And Trevor Trevor's done his part. Unfortunately, Trevor, I think, put the final piece of evidence that the kid needs a break out there with the five turnovers the other night. Bottom line. Not all five were his, but but he just showed he got good protection. The clock in his head sped up. Um, he just showed a number. Of, uh, to me, he just he did some things that let you know the kid needs a break. Okay? Mm-hmm. The kid needs a break. Brock Osweiler needed a break. Yeah. After well, what happened in Houston last year. I'm going to say he, this again. And he it's, talked about how he thinks he thinks it's helped him out. Steven Montez, and I know there may be not a lot of Buff fans here, Steven Montez, the quarterback for the Buffs, got yanked at the half. A lot of people thought Steven Montez wouldn't be the quarterback anymore. His his coach decided we'll give him one more shot. Mm -hmm. He came out against a Cal team that many thought would beat the Buffs and put up about, he had four or five touchdowns, threw long balls, was more accurate than he'd been. I'm hoping that's ultimately what Trevor looks like when he comes back. I'm not going to be in the camp. Those that want to count Trevor out, that's fine. I don't know that Trevor will ever start a game for the Broncos again, but I'm not going to sit here and be so demonstrative to say he won't, as so many have been so quick to. Uh, we'll see how this crazy season plays out. But I hope Trevor, I hope nothing but the best for Trevor, because mm-hmm. whether you realize it or not, he proved everybody wrong just by doing what he's done to this point. So that said, I am excited to see what Brock can bring. And I think that's funny because I know there's a lot of fans out there still angry with Brock over the decision. But if John Elway, the person he basically made the decision against, if you will, said, I'm going to let bygones be bygones and bring this kid back in, I think the fan base ought to be accepted of it too. You boot him at the Giants game. I hope we never hear from that. I hope we never hear that reaction again. And I'll tell you, you and I both know the guys in the locker room, Andrew. Chris Harris said it again. Guys have told me before. Tyler Palumbas told me. Ryan Harris told me. David Bruton, a defensive guy. Brandon Marshall, a defensive guy, have all told me. There is just something about Brock, and there's a calming effect that he has. He looks the part, which is something guys like sometimes, and he commands a huddle. And right now, if you tell me that's what you're inserting, and by all indications, Brock's bringing those same characteristics when he enters the game against Philadelphia on Sunday. You put that into this situation we have with how well the defense is playing, 
I, I think this is a three and four team people better not sleep on. Yeah. And that calming effect. Let's rewind back to 2015. And you're behind two scores in the fourth quarter against the Patriots, and they're unbeaten. Don't forget that. And they're behind two scores in the second quarter against the Bengals, who are playing lights-out football coming into that game. And the thing I saw was a quarterback who was completely unfazed and did some of his best work with big deficits against elite teams down the stretch of a season. Part of it is because he didn't lose his composure one iota. And he didn't lose it, and because of that, the team didn't lose it. And he had and had faith in his teammates. The exam I like to give the example of the Patriots game. You need a late drive. You're behind. And Demarius Thomas is having a nightmarish evening. Can't catch anything. And you've got one chance to get this late game drive to try to change the result. And who does he turn to? Demarius up the right sideline in the snow. Beautiful pass. Makes the catch right there near the Patriots sideline. And that just sends the offense like a rocket ship. Drive downfield, end up taking the lead. And then Patriots get the game-tying field goal and get to overtime. But even though it got to overtime, it was weird. I felt like the Broncos are going to win this game. I felt like that pass and that drive showed, okay, it's going to be all right. I felt like the trust in Demarius, even though he was having a bad night, saying, look, okay, yeah, it's not going well, but I still believe in you. The biggest moment, the highest leverage moment in the game, I'm trusting you to make this play. And he did. And I think that's the sort of thing that Osweiler is going to bring stepping back in. And obviously, his own circumstances have changed. I think I think there's a humbling from what happened in Houston and then what happened in Cleveland. Although I think Cleveland was completely beyond his control. Yeah, Cleveland was a joke. They never yeah. intended to keep him. Why they yeah. didn't just cut him after the trade so he could go find a think, real opportunity, I don't know. I don't think anything that happened to him in Cleveland was fair. And to be honest with you, if they had kept him, they wouldn't be 0-8 right now. No, they'd be winning some games, which is maybe not what they wanted. Yeah. The way they do things, who knows? They may have still been worried about how good that draft pick looks. I think that would have been maybe a 2-6, and 3-5 and five team that was feisty and competitive. I think they knew ultimately there clearly was a desire to play Deshaun Kaiser. I think they knew Brock, if he were to start the season, probably wouldn't give them enough reason to make the switch without upsetting the locker room. Yeah. And so he was never really given a fair chance. You and I have seen this all the time. It was really like an NBA trade where you swap for the pick or the money or whatever little thing you, you do. Basically and said, you basically said, I'm paying $16 plus million dollars for a second round pick. That's what the deal was. Yeah. Raise some NFL eyebrows, as a matter of fact. I don't think many in the league office wanted this to become a trend. No. So. That being said, I mean, it's interesting. Like, if you look at the Browns, they have this these this oodles of cap room. And they keep carrying it forward year after year because they have the cap room, but you also have to have the cash budget to spend. So, just because you have all this cap room doesn't mean you can spend it all. 
And so a team like the Browns, they keep kicking this cap room into the future, and they keep kicking these draft picks into the future. Meanwhile, they're sitting there in the present at 0-8 again, and it's an 0-8 mark that I don't think they would have if they'd held on to Brock Osweiler. Well, someone with experience, someone who, whose teams have a winning record with him as a starter. I don't like to say he has a winning record. I like to say the teams have a winning record with him as a starter. Someone who's seen everything at this point in his career as a starter and as a backup. Don't forget your Peyton Manning's backup for four years. That's going through a meat grinder right there, being Peyton Manning's backup, because he'll throw everything at you. Not a lot of guys like it. And he survived it. He's, he's, and he's a stronger guy because of it. In fact, I actually detected some hints of Peyton Manning at the press conference on Wednesday. As far as saltiness? No. I, 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 I tend to— I, Not just that, but in the way he kind of commanded things. This, a little bit of saltiness, but also the way he was kind of knowing how to get the laughs. But still controlling I, the narrative. He can. He absolutely controlled that. If he controls things on the field like he controls the press conferences, the Broncos are going to be fine. Well, let me throw this at you because you know what? Of course, we've got another guy that could, that could control a press conference when he was with the Broncos. Uh, Brady Quinn comes to mind. Mark Sanchez comes to yes. mind. Neither of those have any records in the Broncos passing books. But that said, because I got the snide comment, I don't care how, like you said, Right. You had a texter that said, I don't care how he controls the press. I can I care how he controls the blitz and da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I saw from Brock, and I saw him do it again, when Houston needed some stuff, and he just trusted himself, and it looked like everybody was playing football in the last two minutes of a game. He did it once here uh, against Cincinnati. You brought up the Patriots scenario. I think people forget how nails he was down the stretch against Cincinnati. I still remember the throw to Owen Daniels mm-hmm. that set up the game-winning field goal. It became the game-winning field goal because DeMarcus Ware got to A.J. McCarron, forced a fumble, and that was that. A.J. McCarron, by the way, did not handle the pressure the way that Brock did and with don't the playoffs forget, on the line. Brock Osweiler led two game-winning drives in that game. Yeah. Because the first one, of course, was wiped out when McManus missed. No problem. I'll do it again. With a throw, I'm telling you, this throw came in the middle of the field. He hit Owen Daniel in stride. He had linebackers underneath, safeties over the top, the kind of NFL throw mm-hmm. that, honestly, if Paxton Lynch comes back into the equation, I want to be able to see him make. That's for another day. Right now, Brock Osweiler made the same throw to get Houston in position to get into the playoffs at times, to get mm-hmm. to the big win last year over the Raiders. Uh, to keep, he made the same style of throw, frankly, that should have been a touchdown that was dropped by Fuller against the Patriots in Foxborough. Uh, this is a guy that has got some successful throws in his kind of back pocket, on his resume, on his highlight tape. Uh, I think he and Mike McCoy are going to make for a great pairing. And I'm excited to just see how this goes. Now, is this the long-term answer, Andrew? I don't know. You know what? But this season has become different for me. I don't know how you feel about things. And we we can all continue to focus on the quarterback, and that's that's just how football goes. But I said this to Tyler, and I said it to Matt McChesney. I am desperate. I'm back to the 2015 desperation of don't waste this defense. Just get them into the playoffs, and let's just see what happens. And everything needs to be geared to giving that defense what it needs to do to win. And that starts with not turning the ball over. It's a championship defense right now. Now, 
It's not doing exactly what it was in 2015 because teams are attacking him differently. But in terms of you're sitting there looking and seeing this a, a it's a top-ranked defense on a per-possession basis, per-game basis, where they were in 2015. The destination is the same. They're getting there in a slightly different way. Some things they're doing better. I think they're a better run defense in 2015. Yeah, which is scary because they were pretty good. They were a good tackling defense in 2015. Big reason is Doma Topeco. Well, and we knew he'd be a leader. But, man, is he – you can't move him in the middle. And he's doing things in the pass rush, too. Oh, yeah. And now watch him on Shaq's strip sack fumble of Alex Smith. Shaq makes the play, but it's a nice little stunt that Domata and Derek Wolf have. A little Cincinnati connection. Derek Wolf, Cincinnati Bearcat. Pecco, longtime Cincinnati Bengal. Makes that stunt, and that puts him exactly where he needs to be to get the ball and create and get the turnover. Here's the other thing that he's doing. You want to know one of the reasons why I think they're not getting a strip sack is, A, you've missed Shane Ray. We saw that right away. Yes. Shane Ray, Shaq Barrett, they're coming back. Defenses are starting to get a little bit you know, leery of the three-headed pass rush monster. And there are some possibilities this week with those three guys, especially when you stack one of them over the On top the of the a, other? One of, or, and move one of them over the A-gap. I think there are some things that they're going to throw at Carson Wentz that he hasn't seen before. I get a sense that maybe it feels a little bit like when they faced Aaron Rodgers or Cam Newton or Dak Prescott earlier this season that, hey, there's all this buzz about how this quarterback is just wheeling and dealing, but they haven't seen what this defense is going to throw at him. At first off, I do want to say Domitaz collapsing the pocket. That's causing quarterbacks to turtle up and protect the ball. That's mm-hmm. why they haven't gotten strip sacks because there's no place to step up and they're just giving And up. when you get that interior rush, it's quick, so the quarterback has to react and, like you said, turtle up fast. But back to your point, and I've said it before in other markets, I get laughed at, and that's fine. I understand it. You, don't, you can't appreciate this defense until you've seen your offense try to deal with it. Remember, Cream Hunt was a man amongst boys till he got to the Broncos. I, I mean, that guy was running guys over. They've been on national TV so much. One of the teams I've seen the most of outside of Denver is the Chiefs. And we've all seen what Cream Hunt does. You don't take him seriously, he makes you regret it. Well, he couldn't break free of the Broncos the other night. Now, Carson Wentz, to your point, hats off to you, kid. You're way ahead in your development than I think any of us thought you'd be. And he reads defenses very well. He's making outstanding pre-snap adjustments. He's going to be a great quarterback. And And you're fun to watch. Yeah. But you've not faced this defense. Just understand that. You've not faced this caliber of defense yet. You've not faced the no-fly zone. You've not faced this. You've not faced this pass rush. And this pass rush is healthy. And now, for the first time all year. Whether people this isn't just this isn't just bragging on the Broncos podcast. I'm serious about this. And just go back and look at the stats from the last two years. Quarterbacks that think it's a good idea to run against this team find themselves battered, bruised, and on the injury report. I'm not trying to... And I'm not running to, has been a huge part of the Carson win right. until last week. Ask... ask The Niners kind of kept him under bottled up. Ask Andrew Luck. Ask Cam Newton. Ask any other... Ask Alex Smith. How good, and I asked Derek Carr, how good an idea it is to try to run and take physical punishment from this defense. It doesn't usually play out well, and like I said, most of those guys have ended up on the injury report a week later. And you're talking about an Eagles pass protection scheme that's without Jason Peters right now. It, it's, 
It's an and interesting time. There are some time. concerns there. There were people who thought the Eagles might try to trade for a tackle. Didn't do it. They're not moving Lane Johnson over. They're going to ride Vitae at left tackle. Keep Lane Johnson at right tackle. Now, you've got the rush coming from both sides, so sometimes Vaughn's going to be right. Sometimes he's going to be over left. But this defense, based on what we've seen time and time again over the last three years, can do things to discombobulate the Eagles' offense if it does what it's done in the past. And then, if it does those things, it falls back on the offense and special teams to not make mistakes, not turn the ball over, don't give short fields. Did you know, Andy, that the Chiefs got six points and the Broncos have allowed 12 points this year, four field goals, on drives that didn't even include a first down. Can't have that. Yeah. Those are brutal numbers. I had said it earlier. Three and outs with points kill are just killer. Right, where you don't morale. have to. You, you hand them the field goal range. See, that's the thing this offense does. It goes back to this. It's real simple, as you've laid out there. And I've said it during the week on Orange and Blue Radio on 760-1035-HD2. Find us on the iHeartRadio app, on the Broncos desktop, on the Broncos app. You hit all. Good job. But you know what, dude? You can't you cannot be handing the team the margin of victory. And unfortunately against the Chargers, with the punt return and the fumbles, uh and the you know, the interceptions with the punt return with the Chiefs and the interceptions and the strip scoop and score, whatever you want to call it, you've been handing them their margin of victory and not even letting the defense on the field to do anything about it and even just change the momentum. We felt, I mean, there were so many times in Kansas City where you could tell that stadium was restless. They did not like what they were seeing. They knew they were playing with fire. It was 20-13. to Your offense isn't getting anything done. Your offense being the Chiefs. And this defense doesn't look like they're going to let you get anything done. And so that's why you just can't give a team field goal range. Even if, like you said, even if it's, you got to punt, you got to, you got to, First off, you got to fair catch the kick or whatever. You got to down the kick, go to the 25, and just try to play with house money. It's okay to be Jimmy Leonard. Just play par. Remember remember Jimmy Leonard when he was here? They put him back there on punt returns. When Safety. They, inside the 10. Just, all right, put your hand up, fair catch. Well, and on the kickoffs, with it being 25 yards, I love. I don't want to. I'm not knocking Cody. I'm not knocking Brendan Langley. Cody being Cody Latimer. I want you to feel like you can make a play. But right now, until you feel like this offense has a little chemistry and a little momentum and a little fire, please just take it to the 25. Don't make them. Because here's the other problem. Cody comes out and actually has a decent return, but then there's a flag. And that's the other thing. And then you're back inside the 10 again. It's not just the risk of a giveaway. And there was a muffed kickoff that Cody returned, but that was beyond the end zone. But there's the risk of penalty when you return it out of the end zone as well, and that knocks you back inside the 15-yard line. Now, there's a lot of things to consider, and they're putting some research into it. If you heard Brock Osweiler's answer, or Brock Osweiler, I knew that was coming. Brock Olivo. <laughs> if you heard Brock Olivo's answer last week, he talked about the hang time on kickoffs and that factoring into the decision to return or the decision to take a knee. But... When you have a special teams unit that is struggling in pen, in terms of penalties, 
You had a muff kickoff. You had a muff punt. It might be time to just do the safe thing until you get some other things figured out. And take the 25. Take the fair catch. Because you've had some you've had some gaffes on special teams the last couple of weeks. You can't afford to keep having those if you're going to play ball security football to give your team the best chance to win. I got to tell you though, all that being said, I feel good about the game this week. I just feel like I feel like I have a great feeling about it. I don't know, and well, I know why because I think we just spelled it out. But I also feel like the, I feel like the Eagles are a little too high on themselves and have been told just how good they are when they've not really played well, a very tough schedule. And I think we, I can also say this. I look at Monday night, and I'm like, the Chiefs didn't win that game as much as the Broncos lost it. The game was in Denver's hands. It was lost on giveaways. So you figure out a way to cut that. The problem that is sinking this team is clear. Hey, I mean, we've we've covered some Broncos teams over the distant past where we knew, or we where we didn't know the problem. We're like, or it's so many different things. We've kind of narrowed it down to one basic thing that has prevented this team from probably being as good as six and one. So if you can find a way to fix that, that's not only the first step. Maybe that's the only step you need to take to be back to talking about playoffs once again. Well, we'll talk more about the Patriots next week. And frankly, beyond the Patriots comes a little bit of a cushion where you can run. By the way, late news, if you haven't heard it, Andrew Luck is officially on IR. And so that Colts game becomes a little more interesting as well. For Andrew Mason, I'm Andy Lindahl. This has been Horsing Around here on DenverBroncos.com. Talk to you next week. That is a, you went 30-some minutes, so if you want to get rid of the fun stuff about...